Hi, everyone. Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato with my colleague, Mary Gamba. Mary, how are we doing today? It's a really good day, Steve. How are you? It's a really good day on a lot of levels. Uh, not a great day for democracy, if you will. Lessons in Leadership, not a political program at all, but we do talk about political leadership. Who better than to uh, uh, have on Senator Troy Singleton, uh, Senate Majority Whip in the New Jersey State Senate, a longtime friend. We've worked, to, worked together before he was in elective office. Um, and by the way, identify the um, the trade union you were connected to for many years. Sure, sure. I'm still a card carrying member of the Carpenters Union here in the state of New Jersey. Yeah. Troy, let's do this. I know that there are a whole range of things we could and should be talking about in terms of public policy in the state of New Jersey. We'll get to it. But the graphic is about to come up on the screen. Decision 2024, democracy in danger. No question mark, no nothing, in danger. Premise of the question is this. There are so many Americans, Mary being one of them, we had a conversation yesterday, who are uh, losing faith in our representative democracy and our elected officials. We're taping at the end of September. It is what it is. People know what's going on. That being said, what do you say to millions and millions of Americans who think about 2024 and the decision that we may have to make and the choices that are out there? And in fact, they've lost faith that our representative leaders will do what is right um, and not simply what is in their self-interest. Loaded question, I know. And not to mention Democrats and Republicans don't seem to work together on very much anything. Go ahead. So no one can object to the cynicism that so many in the, the public have around our body politic uh, currently today. Um, but as the eternal optimist, I'm always uh, heartened by the fact that it's still we the people. And the engagement of the citizenry of this country is going to be what is going to pull us back on the brink of our democracy moving to some sort of autocratic society. And I say that because it is still the people when they decide to sort of come together that have actually helped shift elections and helped shift the tone and tenor of our country. Almost having to put aside who's the players in front of them as the elected officials, but really deciding upon the principles that still matter in our country, the principles of fairness, the principles of ethical behavior, all those things that we still teach our children at our core that we want them to understand we're going to ask people to put that on the ballot. But if you look at it through those types of prisms, then you don't really get caught up in this idea of the Democrat or Republican. Uh, my mother, God rest her soul, used to say to me all the time, I always vote for the best people. And I've jumped around for various political parties in, in an effort to do that. But when you stop looking at the nature of what the fancy soundbite is or the commercial that comes up that tries to scare you into not voting for this person or that, but really get to the core of the things that make you who you are and see who best embodies those things. I think the overwhelming majority of individuals will step forward and make the right choices in this 2024 election cycle that we see coming up because it's so critically important. You know, Troy, before Mary jumps in, uh, I need to say this because we've known each other for 20 plus years and you've always been an optimist, even before you got into government. And the fact that you are now speaks for itself. However, there's a big part of me that sees you as uh, not the norm. What I mean by that is you've always been someone who tries to get things done, reaches across the aisle, such a cliche, but true, just focuses on what needs to be done on behalf of your constituents. Senator, 
That is not the case with a vast majority of Democrats and Republicans who often look at the actions of someone in the opposite party and call it horrific. You're not fit for public office. But if someone in their own party does the exact same thing, we need that vote. Got to protect that person. That is not in the interest of the constituents they serve. No disrespect, my friend, but you seem like you're in the minority in more ways than one. But in this case, just trying to do the right thing. I don't want to make you a saint, but you're usually trying to do what's right. Yeah, definitely not a saint. But in the sense of trying to be a realist in this discussion, though, I do think there are more individuals who do uh, embody that spirit in which you just talked about. The problem is, frankly, the headlines don't come from folks working in bipartisan ways these days. Right. Right now, we're seeing too many people who are willing to play this idea of pointing fingers and, and being antagonistic to one another. And that is like clickbait and that's selling shows and that's getting people where they want to be as far as in the public eye. But the, the hard work, right, the work that still needs to go on to move government forward, there's still those of us who are uh, in, in, not just involved in doing that, but get excited about doing that, regardless of our label. The idea, though, is for us to have opportunities like this to talk about that and talk about how I work closely with my Republican colleagues and my Democratic colleagues because there's just so much work that needs to be done and no one, no party has monopolized good ideas. So one second before, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Trey, before Mary jumps back in, you think that's happening in Washington? Really? I didn't say it's happening everywhere, right? But here's the thing. But that's not in everywhere. That's the nation's capital. It is the nation's capital. The people's business? It is the nation's capital. And the, and the frustration, I think, that that you are exhibiting and, and so many, frankly, others, when I go out and talk to them, when I go door knocking or out of the store, is that they feel like Washington has stopped listening to all of us about just trying to get things done. Again, I think the way to change that has been twofold. And we're seeing an example of that in Alabama. A, a pretty conservative court just decided that the way that the district is, is constituted in Alabama were gerrymandered and it was uh, diluting voices, especially of minority voters. They're pushing back and making that happen, right? And, and and they're being fought, right, locally, but they're still doing that. But in order for us to change that that sort of culture there, we have to start changing the people who are going there. Some of that means making these gerrymandered districts less focused on putting us against each other, but truly trying to put people in places that really want to see things get done. I still believe we can do that. Real quick, as Mary Johnson, gerrymandering, for those who do not know, is simply carving up districts, congressional legislative districts that are intended to get certain kinds of folks elected and deny other folks an opportunity to be elected. It is unconstitutional, wrong, but there's a tradition in our country of it. Please, Mary. Yeah, definitely. You talked a little bit about the fact that, yes, there is clickbait out there. There's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of political ads. But let's flip the switch. What about where it's not necessarily somebody trying to blame someone or or make up something about someone? We're seeing so much in the news today about politicians or people really just making egregious mistakes, uh, trying to cover things up. For, for lay people, for people who do just tune into the news, what hope can you give to us? And I do say me because I, Steve and I were just talking about it the other day. We want a better world. We want our children to look up to our politicians and these leaders as role models. What do we do when they're not role models? Well, I think our, our process of, especially our judicial process, will hold those individuals to account who are making the really egregious things that cross the line beyond just doing bad acts in, in government, but also illegality. So I think we still have to have faith and trust that that process will play itself out in one regard. 
Um, but secondarily, I think, Mary, I think we have to really focus on the fact that when we have elected officials who've lost the public trust, no matter their party, no matter their longstanding in anybody's uh, eyes as who they are, we have to call it out. I think that's important. And, and we've seen some of that in, in this state and other states. And too often individuals, to, to Steve's point earlier, are uh, reticent to say, hey, in my political party, we don't do that. Like we've seen some of these issues here in New Jersey. I've not been shy of calling it out and I will continue to call it out because it's important for our public to have that trust in government, no matter the nomenclature behind our names, that we're working in their interests and not anyone else's. So that's where it begins, right? Letting the judicial process play itself out for those who cross the line, but also all of us who are in government standing up because it's a stain on all of us when we're silent. And that almost makes people think we're being complicit in, in, in those acts. One more quick follow-up, Senator. Um, the issue of race, race relations in our country, particularly post a historic, significant decision by the United States Supreme Court on affirmative action as it relates to college admission, it's only a piece of a much larger equation. Share with us your view on race relations and the view of many that were as polarized as we've ever been and democracy potentially being in danger, please. Well, it starts fundamentally with our the concept of the original sin of our country, which is uh, slavery, slavery, and how we as a nation have not had a true reckoning around that topic. It's, it's almost as if we're fearful to say that yes, in this country, one sect of people uh, enslaved another sect of people. And the remnants of that we still see and have seen, whether it's in housing policy, whether it's in electoral, economic, education policy, you name it. We have to call that out. That doesn't mean that someone who lives today should be held accountable because their grandfather's 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 grandfather held slaves. But it is, it is frustrating to a lot of us when we don't acknowledge that painful history of our country that still has remnants today. So we have but, to but start- Who's there. not acknowledging that? Respectfully, who's not acknowledging it? Take, take the Proud Boys, take white supremacists off the page for a second, ignore them. For the vast majority of non-African Americans, for those of us who are white, do you believe the vast majority of whites somehow deny or don't acknowledge the original sin of our country as slavery? I don't think the vast majority do, but too many do. And I think that's where my, my point is. It's not the vast majority. It's not the overwhelming majority. It's not probably even a simple majority. But there are several people, and frankly, in positions of influence, who will not acknowledge that simple point and the fact that ramifications are still felt today. That's where we got to have that that really uncomfortable conversation around that and then talk even a step further. What is it that we're prepared to do to recognize that challenge and utilize the tools of our government and industry to try and rectify that wrong to a way that is equitable and fair to everyone? You talking about okay. reparations? I'm talking about a broader conversation around how we look at public policy moving forward and its ramifications on communities that have been adversely affected over the course of time. One more. Mm -hmm. Do you acknowledge and understand, even if you don't agree with or appreciate the degree of quote unquote white resentment on the part of many who ask the question, what about my kids? What about my kid's opportunity? And then they will look at the affirmative action decision by the courts and ask the question, will that potentially hurt my child? 
And should the response be, or is the response, well, we've suffered for too long, not that it's publicly stated, but now it's your turn. So I think in the way we we frame that thought leads us to a discussion that actually doesn't help us progress beyond that. And that is not a, a disparity about the question. It's more along the terms of uh, there's a difference between equality and equity. And I think when we frame it in such a way that folks, uh, all of us, all of us, regardless of our color, want to see our children have an equitable opportunity to move forward. Right. It doesn't mean all things are equal. And I think Never if we start be. from that Never premise, we're moving a different, yeah, if we start from that premise, we end up with a different sort of outcome because equity for me is the same for a, a white family in my similar class. Because I want to see the same things for children, whether white, black, Hispanic, Asian, cross the board, you name it. But when we don't frame it the right way, we get in this thing that I'm almost being pitted as neighbors against neighbors. And that's where we lose sight of the bigger picture of trying to create a more equitable society. Boy, Mary, isn't it, it's hard to talk about hard stuff, mm -hmm. but it's important to talk about hard stuff. State Senator Troy Singleton, uh, it says, title, majority, uh, Senate Majority Whip in the New Jersey State Senate, but he's a lot more than that. He's a leader who we're going to hear a lot from in the future because we need to. Political leadership, potentially state, national leadership. We appreciate it. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. You got to stay with us. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, the Helix, Fedway Associates Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Hey kids, PBS Kids and Delta Dental want you to have a healthy smile. So here are some tips for you to remember. Number one, eat plenty of crunchy fruits and vegetables. Number two, brush your teeth after eating sugary snacks or drinking sodas. And number three, drink lots of water to wash away food particles. When your teeth are happy, all of you is happy. From PBS Kids and Delta Dental, have a healthy smile. Lessons in Leadership is honored to have one of the greatest coaches on any level, one of the greatest leaders on any level, when it comes to the sport of basketball, he is Bob Hurley, Coach Bob Hurley, president of the People's Park Foundation, author of this great book, Chasing Perfect, Bob Hurley, and the legendary coach at St. Anthony's in Jersey City for how many years there, Coach? I was there a total of 50 years, Steve. I was varsity coach for 45 years and then the freshman JV coach for five for that. Let's do this. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not ask you, since this is a leadership show, we'll also use it on some of our other platforms. Of all the many leadership lessons that you have learned and that you've taught others, the most significant lesson that translates from basketball 
to every other aspect of life. We learned from John Wooden and other great coaches who wrote about basketball and leadership as well. I know yes. there are many, but what jumps out of you that will be helpful to our audience? A great leadership lesson, please, Coach. Well, I just think uh, it's probably something along the lines of what Malcolm Gladwell uh, espouses, Steve, that uh, you know, to become good at something, you really have to invest a tremendous amount of time. And in this microwave society now, people don't understand how to grind something out to become successful. You know, so I mean, Malcolm Gladwell would say to become a master of something, you're going to put about 10,000 hours in to become good at. And if you're in the basketball world, perhaps you're Steph Curry and no one is recruiting that kid as a high school kid and be sheer effort and time and doing the right things becomes, you know, two time MVP in the NBA with one scholarship to college. Awesome. Hey, Coach, we'll come back to leadership in just a second. But the president of the People's Park Foundation, tell everyone what that is as we put up the website, please. Yes. Well, a group of us got together here in Jersey City uh, because the, the Liberty State Park is at a point where they're going to clean up all of the uh, contaminated area. And now these hundreds of acres are going to be turned into something. The people that have controlled the park for a long time wanted the entire park to be just a natural preserve, basically remain like it is right now. And as someone who has raised children in Jersey City, have grandchildren who come to the house now and know the plight of all of the local coaches, educators, police, I know that we need more of an opportunity for young people. So uh, what we have, we're striving to do, and we've had a lot of success, is to put the brakes on it being solely uh, passive recreation. And we're going to get about 15% of the park now is going to be turned into multi-practice, uh, multi-purpose practice fields, uh, you know, tennis courts, uh, things that, you know, young people can use. And it'll greatly benefit the 30,000 kids that are in the Jersey City schools. Good stuff. Mary, jump in. Yeah, definitely, Bob. You're talking about that park. It's such an inspiration. Talk about that connection between sports and leadership, especially for our children. Uh, Steve and I both have kids, as you did, that went through the whole sports thing, everything from baseball to softball, ice hockey, you name it. What is Mary, that hold connection? on. I still have, we still have a 13-year-old daughter, best athlete in the family. That's why I said softball. <laughs> Somebody hit a home run the other day, and it wasn't me. I hit a home run about 40 years ago when I played softball. But, <laughs> yeah, so that's why I did put softball into the equation. So children, I should say. Thank you. And, but, yeah, Bob, talk a little bit about that connection and the lessons um, are and why our kids need sports, you know, discipline, you know, et cetera. You know, particularly sports have, has always had a place of importance, teaching so many lessons in life with kids, you know, getting to being on time, being prepared to work, you know, learning to work together, so many different things. But post-pandemic, we had years where our kids were in the house. They became just, you know, consumed with information they would get on their phones and you know, iPads and things. And we lost, we had, we started a foundation at, at uh, in Jersey City, the Hurley Family Foundation, when St. Anthony closed. And we were back working with young people and we could see the value we were getting here. Kids were doing better in school. They were getting themselves involved in more activities, you know, clearly staying away from influences that are not good. And then we kept looking at it and saying, well, we have so many kids here. Our facilities have to be better so we can reach more kids. 
And, you know, I can use the example of my own children going to Bayonne Park as kids to run there, to do things there and not using other parks. Now I live in downtown Jersey City and I have two grandkids at the house and they'll say to me, hey, they're half a day of school. You know, Pa, can we go to the park? And we will literally drive through Liberty State Park to go all the way back to Bayonne Park because there's basketball courts, there's a mm. running track, there's, uh, you know, there'll be a food, uh, food truck someplace, uh, a variety of things they can do. And uh, uh, we shouldn't have to travel all the way to Bayonne to do that. You know, a recent example, my son, my grandson is a freshman at St. Peter's Prep and he played Ferris High School the other, J- the other day in a JV soccer game. And the two s- schools, which are about eight blocks apart in downtown Jersey City, had to go to Bayonne Park to play. And that shouldn't be. We should have more opportunities for kids. We want the kids to have so many opportunities that they're not going to walk away from something because they feel like they're being treated like a second-class citizen. And for our teams locally here, Mary, when a team from Jersey City travels someplace to play, they think they've gone to like professional stadiums because their lack of facilities we have right here. And that's not, that's not fair. Hey, Chris, let me try this. You mentioned uh, your, your grandchildren. And uh, by the way, have, you, have your um, uh, children accomplished anything much uh, in the world of basketball? Uh, well, you know, the biggest thing they got, the two oldest, you know, I have three. My, uh, my best student so is Bobby, a teacher. Danny. And, and Melissa, Andrew. who's a teacher here in okay. Jersey City, right. uh, by far our best student. Uh, but they, they uh, you know, they worked hard in basketball. And my right. wife and I said, if you work hard, you'll be able to determine what colleges you're going to be able to go to because we're not going to be able to just write a check for any school in the United States. Your success in sports and, and doing well in school will dictate that. So Bobby was able to get a scholarship to uh, Duke University. And Danny was able to get a scholarship to Seton Hall. And because of their involvement in sports, like so many other kids, it's an avenue. On P.S., Danny was the coach, is the coach of University of Connecticut. And how did they do this year? Uh, they had a, a surprisingly good year, Steve. <laughs> and, uh, and I can tell you that when the NCAA tournament began, we were hoping for some success because, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of pressure coaching college. And then for three weekends, we were on a magical mystery tour. It was unbelievable. My grandson, who I just mentioned, I think he missed 10 days of school in those three weeks. And he's a very good student. And no one at the school, none of his teachers, the principal, nobody said anything because this was, they saw him on television doing things that they certainly would have liked to have done themselves when they were younger. And I not only got to the dance, but the UConn, congratulations to them. Um, I happen to be a Seton Hall Pirate fan. And so we watched UConn win that national championship. Yes. Mary, Mary, jump back in. I got a few more for the coach, but could jump back yeah, in. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm just sitting here. I got goosebumps. And one thing that I want to talk a little bit about, and it goes to everything you're saying, which is trying to build that park in Jersey City. Talk a little bit about grit. Steve and I, this is something newer that over the last three years, the pandemic, Steve always has that book, right, to pull out. Talk about grit and your viewpoint views on that. I mean, when we're talking about sports life, business leadership, share your thoughts on grit. Yeah, I think and I, I, sports, are, it's a great way to just uh, try to learn many, many less lessons in life. You know, like in, in basketball, simply, if I'm not a good foul shooter, I can talk about it. I can have a sports psychologist talk to me about it. I can get advice from an awful lot of people, or I can take a ball and I can go out 
<laughs> and I can shoot until I feel more comfortable shooting free throws. And the more I do something, the better I get. So I think, if, unfortunately, old school in sports uh, coaching is repetition. And it's very difficult now to get kids to repeat a particular thing over a length of time because they're so used to going from one thing to another very quickly. But the basis for a lot of success is building your fundamentals. You know, and in anything that we do, when I'm strong with my basic fundamentals in business, in school, in sports, I can expand it as, as it would be logically a time to do that. So, so important. And I got to handle all the obstacles. You know, uh, Major League Baseball players in the Hall of Fame make out seven out of ten times. And how do you respond to those times after you've, uh, you know, you've failed? Mike Krzyzewski would say to the Duke players all the time, move on to the next play. Just go on to the next play because it's going to be a lot of failure. Back that guy, Bob. Wow, the time, the timing of this, amazing. I can't tell you the props that he has there, Bob. I can't. The two, two of the greatest coaches and leaders of all time. Coach K would say what? You move on to that next play. You know, don't, don't, don't linger. Let, let the thought of what happened linger in your head as you move on because you, the, the failure is something you just have to deal with. It's part of, it's part of life. But, Bob, before I let you out, i got to do this. In our leadership seminars, Mary and I know I say, knows I say this all the time, that our goal is not perfection. Our goal is progress. And I'm so always pushing progress, improvement, that there is no perfection. you got chasing perfect. Coach, is there such a thing in leadership and in life as, quote, perfect? Well, well I think what you do is if you chase perfect, you may wind up, uh, you may wind up accepting excellence. So if you're shooting free throws and you're Steph Curry and he's made the one day, how about this number? He took 100, uh, he took 100 three-point shots one day and he made 97. He made 97 three-point shots. Now, most people would not pick up a ball for a while, but Steph Curry shoots at a season. He makes 500 shots a day and during a season, he makes 200 a day. So it's that pursuit of like, you're being your best version is what I think the great ones uh, have in them. Coach has it right. I mean, you could talk about all the sports psychologists and the whole new different ways of coaching and playing, but there is no substitute for putting in the time. Hey, Coach Bob Hurley, to you and your family, we say congratulations on a national championship. Thank, thank um, you so much. And, and beyond that, uh, thank you for so many years of coaching and leading and mentoring so many young man at St. Anthony's prep in uh, Jersey City and um, making a difference in the lives of so many. Thank you, Coach. Thank you so much, Steve. Stay with us. We'll be back with some final words after this. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. So that's it. Chasing perfect. Mary, real quick, you got what the coach said. You pursue perfect. Mm -hmm. You know you're not going to get there because it doesn't exist, and you fall into excellence. Excellence. And I love that because it's so true. None of us are perfect. And I love what both of you say. If you can combine them, you talking about practice, you know, makes progress. And I like what he talks about on the way to try to get to perfect. All of us are fortunate enough if we get to excellence. So really cool stuff. Okay. But Mary, you said not to talk to you too long. I got 30 seconds left. You have always been a perfectionist. Have you, have you, are you no longer admitting that you're that? 
Um, I'm not. And thanks to you, Steve, for that. I give you full credit yeah, because, because huh? Because I'm no, not no, but you taught me a long time ago. People are going to make mistakes, own your mistakes, and that's okay. Do I still strive for perfection? Yes. Do I have the bar set so high that I often disappoint myself? Sure thing. But that's okay. I don't like hey, mediocrity. Listen, even the great Elvin Badger, he's great. He's not perfect. None of us are. Some of us are just closer than others. Hey, this has been Lessons in Leadership. Thanks for joining us. No, Mary's as close to anyone as I know, as is Elvin. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, the Helix, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Hey kids, PBS Kids and Delta Dental want you to have a healthy smile. So here are some tips for you to remember. Number one, eat plenty of crunchy fruits and vegetables. Number two, brush your teeth after eating sugary snacks or drinking sodas. And number three, drink lots of water to wash away food particles. When your teeth are happy, all of you is happy. From PBS Kids and Delta Dental, have a healthy smile.